Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we're in this series called Messy Spirituality. It is a messy, confusing time to be a Christian in America today. While interest in spirituality is actually on the rise in America today, confidence that people have in their faith has decreased from 60% of the people being confident to 42% of the people being confident in just a few years. So there's greater interest in spirituality and there's less confidence. Whereas uh, people of faith used to be at least respected in the culture, today actually 42% of people in America believe that people of faith are part of the problem we are facing in America. In fact, if you're a person who shares your faith, even if it's as simple as telling somebody God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you, many in America will label you an extremist in our current culture and believe that you are. If you believe biblical morality, many in America will label you an extremist. It's interesting, study after study shows that most people in America, even the majority of people who attend a Christian church on a regular basis, cannot accurately describe Jesus' teachings or what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This leaves many in our culture inside the church living in what I would call a phantom reality of what they think Christianity is, and it's really not. Or for those who do not see themselves as Christian, they are actually rejecting a false mirage of what they think Christianity is. It's kind of like people walking around believing in zombies. Those of you who are Walking Dead fans, sorry. It makes for a confusing messiness around spirituality, in particular Christianity today. For example, 79%, 8 out of 10 people in America, believe that you can believe whatever you want as long as your beliefs don't affect society. That means a whole lot of Christians believe that statement to be true. Now, just logically think about that for a second. That is an absurd statement. Our beliefs cannot and never do live in a vacuum. And they never do only just affect you. It's just not possible. For example, your beliefs about sex affect those you date. They affect your spouse. They affect your kids. They affect what you watch. They affect what becomes popular. They affect marketing. They affect your self-esteem and the self-esteem of others around you. Another example, the uh, beliefs that we have about money, about accumulating wealth, and about what debt is appropriate or how debt works in our lives. Just look at the housing crisis of 10 years ago that left our entire nation reeling and the next generation struggling to be hopeful about a financial future of America. One of the most challenging questions that I think we face both on the inside of Christian faith and on the outside of Christian faith in America as it pertains to Jesus is simply this. If Jesus is really who he says he is, God, if he's the Messiah, if he's the Savior of the world, then why are things in such desperate shape? Why is there hunger, cancer, suicide, bombing, beheadings? Why is Syria and Afghanistan and Somalia and London full of so much evil in the U.S. and New York and Columbus? Why are there people who will kidnap or otherwise force young girls and boys into the sex trade? And why are there people who will pay for their services to abuse them sexually? 
If Jesus is Lord of all that exists, paid the perfect price to set everything right by conquering all the powers of evil and sin, and if the gospel that we preach is really truly good news and life-giving to all who would receive it, then why aren't we seeing more success? Why are Christian marriages ending in divorce? And why are kids raised in the church leaving their faith after they graduate from high school and abandoning their faith in the morality they were raised with? Why are there are so many people who go to church and live double lives, addicted and unhappy and unfulfilled. I mean, if Jesus is really who he says he is, then why is the truth not more obviously accepted and the world a better place? Why is life in this world so often such a mess, including for people of faith? These perceptions, these realities, these questions like these are the reason we're doing this Messy Spirituality series. In light of all that's going on, it is more important than ever that we know who we are as followers of Christ and know what it means to be a follower of Christ and that we understand the messy reality of, of life and the, the, so that the messy reality of faith and life doesn't tank us. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you today that in order to have a mature faith, it requires you to embrace messiness. Today, our focus is going to be on the central theme of faith. It is the central theme of Jesus' teaching that we're going to talk about. And yes, you did hear me right. It is the central theme of Jesus' teaching in life. There is no theme more prominent in Jesus' life and teaching than what we're going to talk about today. It is something that we as a church and the Vineyard Churches as a whole that we're, we fellowship with hold deep, deeply. And getting what we're talking about today embedded in our lives is what truly brings the goodness of following Jesus into the open, into the light. It's what prepares us to face well the difficulties of life. It's what transforms us and transforms culture. It, is, it lies at the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This idea is encapsulated in Mark 1. We see it start the text, the writer starting there saying, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. And then Jesus starts to talk and he gives us the thesis statement, the core summary of what his life and ministry and teaching was all about. He says, The time has come. Present. He said, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this kingdom whatever it is, is really, really good. And the invitation encapsulated there is to turn away from everything else we think about God, we think about reality, and we think about goodness, and turn toward His kingdom and embrace this kingdom that He's talking about. And believe that how good the good news it really is of this kingdom. But that forces us to ask a question. How would you describe the kingdom of God to your friends, to your kids? I mean, what on earth is the kingdom of God? And what does it mean when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near in the present? In an ultimate sense, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God in our lives and in our world. Put more simply, the kingdom of God is what life would be like if every person lived according to the way God created us to live in right relationship with God through Jesus and live like Jesus would live. 
I mean, think about it. What would culture, what would politics, relationships, healing, comfort, success, helping the suffering, the impoverished, abused look like if it was directed by Jesus with all the character, the love, the kindness, the patience, the wisdom, the compassion, the clarity that Jesus showed when he lived on earth. And it is what life will also be like at the end of time or when we die and we go to be with Jesus. Rich Nathan puts it this way. He says, when we pray, your kingdom come, which is part of the Lord's prayer, we're saying that we want this situation. Now, that's whatever situation you are facing, whether it's easy, fun, hard, difficult, whatever you're facing at work or home or in your relationships, we want this situation to be like what it would look like if you, Lord, were in charge, if your will was done. That's what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom comes among us when we respond to Jesus and we live in that way. It's not based on your effort and your control and your perfection, but rather it is giving control to Jesus and relying on his ways and his power and to experience his blessing and presence in our lives and his order in our lives. But within that, there's this messy, messy conundrum that we face in the kingdom of God. Theologians refer to this as very aptly as the kingdom of God now and not yet. It's this idea clearly presented in Scripture that there are essentially two stages to the kingdom of God coming among us as a result of the work of Jesus. The first stage is the kingdom breaking into our reality, but it's also a time in which God's kingdom doesn't demand and doesn't force all others to bow to his will. The second stage is when Jesus returns and it will be the ultimate mic drop moment when everyone, no one excluded, everyone will recognize who he is, that he is God and be forced to bow before our creator God. We live in phase one, a phase in which God's will can be resisted. It can be ignored. It can be spoken ill about. It can be disbelieved. But one day, Nobody will be able to resist because it will be obvious and we will all be humbled and stand before our maker. The author of Hebrews 2 talks about this phase of reality of the now and the not yet when he says this. He says, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. The work is done. The victory is won through Jesus. Ultimate authority and power resides in Jesus. But then it goes on and says, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But the work is not yet fully complete. So the writer of Hebrews is commenting on our reality that we live in. He's saying the promise is good. The win is a sure thing. The end result's in the bag. But the game's not done. There's a lot of metaphors used where this one common metaphor is a war metaphor. It's this idea that the war has been won even though all of the battles to end all the pockets of resistance and reconciling the relationships and reviving the economy and reconstructing all the damage from the war and building the new good life is still not yet completed. 
Some people go further and they put this in a World War II context and in the D-Day context because most historians of World War II will say D-Day was essentially when the war was won. It was just a matter of months and more battles and a long time of rebuilding before it was all really finished, but it was essentially won on that day. And so this metaphor application being then to what we're talking about today is that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was like D-Day. And you and I now live in between day and victory in Europe. Europe day. So there are some limitations to this illustration, but it's really helpful, and we're going to return to it in just a moment. But let's look at this. What does this mean for how we view life and how we live? Let me give you, by way of structure for today's message, let me give you two insights or applications from the not yet portion of this phrase and one from the now of this now and not yet way of talking about this. First, not yet means that In your lifetime here on earth, unless Jesus returns while you're still alive, the completion of the work will never be completed. We live in a time of incompletion. And while Jesus absolutely secured and guarantees the ultimate reality of sin being done away with, of all pain, all disease, all brokenness, being healed and permanently resolved, never to be experienced again, our current reality is still full of brokenness and rebellion and foolishness and difficulty. So when we return to the original questions, why, why Syria, why cancer, why so many devastatingly evil, difficult things, it is because our reality is this one, phase one kingdom reality. God is still inviting people to love him and follow him, inviting people to align their lives with his kingdom, but he's not on the whole, bending the will of people and nations to bow before him yet. There is still choice. God wants willing, truly, freely loving followers, not forced robots. Now, where this becomes messy so often, we don't have this now and not yet settled both in our thinking and in our hearts. So as a pastor, I've had the sacred privilege of walking through a lot of circumstances with people, difficult moments, sickness, disease, and death, and abuse, and betrayal, and all sorts of other things. But when we don't have this portion of reality of the kingdom settled in our hearts and our minds, we can easily find ourselves fighting against reality, hitting our heads against the wall over and over again, accusing God of not being there, of not being loving when he is there and he is loving. But the choices of people and the evil and the foolishness, foolish ignorance around us hurt and make life difficult. I've seen it in myself. It's something that if I'm not careful, this will creep back into my thinking and emotions, and I've seen it in other people. See, our default approach to religion as humans is we think it's, it, it, we approach religion by thinking it's, it's the solution to uh, uh, make things nice and neat in our lives, that there, things will always get better the better we are at following God. And if we do one, two, and three, you will always get four. And four is always good. It's always just a little bit easier. It's always not too hard. It's always better. But in the phase one kingdom of God world of reality we live in, you can be a dedicated follower of Jesus and still face cancer, still face pain of relationships and oppression or injustice. And you could be following faithfully in the best way possible. See, when we 
get into the one, two, three thinking, we tend to get frustrated with God asking, God, where are you? And frankly, no matter where you are, no matter what you're feeling, that's a fine question to ask God. God loves authenticity. He wants to be, us to be honest with Him. He can handle your feelings and He wants that kind of honesty with you. But there can be two different tones and meanings behind that question, can't there? It can be, God, where are you? Like, God, you aren't there. You aren't good. I can't trust you. You abandoned me. And it's okay if that's where you're at to process that openly with God. God can handle that. He invites that, wants that. But when we ask that question in that way, we typically find ourselves to be expecting to be life to be what it is not yet, namely perfect, smooth, seamless, without difficulty, without pain, whole instead of broken. Isn't it true that we often approach our faith and thinking in that way? If, if I'm a good enough Christian, everything, everything will always go better and be better. And the truth is, following Jesus does result in a richer life, a fuller life, a more satisfying life, a more meaningful life, and often a life with less pain and turmoil. But there's still pain. There still are setbacks and breakdowns and resistance and trouble because as Paul puts it in Ephesians, he says, we have received the deposit guaranteeing the full thing, but the full thing isn't realized yet. And when that reality isn't settled emotionally in us as well as intellectually, most of us who've been around church know that concept, but when it isn't settled in our hearts, when difficult stuff happens, we start living by thinking something must be wrong with my faith. God isn't coming through. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I've disappointed God so much he's not going to be here for me in this moment. But when we know the reality of not yet, we don't as easily go to that negative, untruthful place. Instead, we can ask God that same question with a different tone. Where are you, God? With a sense of trust in his love and a curiosity and an expectation that he is there, we just need to ask that question to seek it out and discover where God is and what he's doing in that moment. Even in the mess of the not yet, we can trust God's goodness and love. Why? Because when we were rebelling against God, when we're still actively offending God, that same God sent, came as Jesus to pay the price for our sin and rebellion even before we were willing to want or even accept his forgiveness and follow him. Isn't that amazing love? We might even call that reckless love because it goes far beyond any level of love that we would ever be willing to show someone else. I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years about the topic of forgiveness. And one of the things I hear often, especially in the more difficult, painful situations, is this. They say, I will forgive them when they ask for it, when they show a sense of remorse. They need to show some desire for forgiveness and change, and then I'll give it. But Jesus, he paid the price before there was any movement on your part our part to show remorse 
or ask forgiveness. That kind of love is a love that we can trust and we can be confident in the goodness of God even in the frustration of the not yet that we live in. So the second insight into the not yet is this. We live in a time of guaranteed promise. It is true, isn't it? Settling the reality of the not yet helps us live life with more peace, more easily trusting God's goodness even in the difficult moments when we mourn people's loss and all those other moments in life. The not yet reminds us, though, as well of the promise because not yet is not No, not yet is not yet. It's not always, not perfectly, not 100%, but someday it will be 100%. Within that, though, there's still this messy place that can hijack us emotionally and put us in the wrong place in regard to even the kingdom not yet, much less how God wants us to think about his role in our lives. Think of it this way. Have you ever had a situation with a boss or a friend or a spouse or a relative where that person had a really annoying issue that just never seemed to change? It was hurtful. It was frustrating. It made you not even want to be around them at times. It was, it was going on so long you would, you might even say about it, I tried every trick in the book to try to bring change in this person's life, but they never do. And year after year after year, you're still facing the same frustration and the pain. When I face that, this is, this is what happens inside of me. And so maybe I'm weird. Maybe this never happens to you. Just bear with me. When that happens with me, I just want to avoid the whole issue. Why bring it up? Nothing's ever going to change. Why waste the emotional effort and talk about it and confront the situation? Why take the bandage off, rip the scab off by talking about it? In so doing, you risk getting so frustrated again that you blow up and then you do something stupid and you not only have that pain, but now you have to repair that new damage as well. Just avoid it and let it be. None of you here have had those feelings, right? I'm alone in that. Anybody who's married here who thinks they've never had those feelings, you're lying. (laughs) That is how we often end up living. When we get really, really get the idea of this not yet. And it's not healthy. That person close to us for whom we prayed for healing, they died. That relationship we wanted to see reconciled, it never did reconcile. The ongoing continued pain of dysfunction that's around us, we settle our reality and our relationship with God by leaning into the not yet but someday. And, and it brings some comfort. It brings some healing. It brings some sense of rightness and order back to in our lives. And it should. But this is where I think the World War II D-Day example is so very helpful. Like D-Day... Not yet means even when we're living in the not yet before victory in Europe day, we are sacrificing, we are fighting, we are have lived with this focused intensity for the kingdom to be established in our lives and in the lives of those around us right now as much as is possible. So therefore, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near has come near, present tense, it means that we experience the kingdom of God in this not yet world by vigorously pursuing the Holy Spirit for the now of God's kingdom. 
See, I think oftentimes as followers of Jesus, we get lost in the not yet. We become passive. We become apathetic, just waiting for Jesus to take us out of the world. In our discouragement, which is very real, we give up. And we, we give up the struggle or we stop praying for miracles. And sometimes we even stop praying for things that we don't even consider necessarily to be a big miracle because we're just so frustrated that it's not going to change and maybe God's not going to answer. But that isn't Jesus' message to us or Paul's message to us. It isn't what the kingdom of God coming near, the kingdom of God not yet means. That's not what it means. It means even when someone dies on the beaches of Normandy or in the hedgerows of France or crossing the Rhine River into Germany before VED, we get back up, we keep fighting, we, we keep praying, we keep pursuing healing, we keep expecting God to break in and show up because we're confident in God's goodness and the victory. Because Jesus, God, initiated a whole nother level of breaking into our reality in Jesus coming and sending us the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself says it this way in Matthew 12. He says, Jesus, Jesus is talking in this context with religious leaders about the work of the Holy Spirit and miracles through him. And he says this, he says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, Jesus is making a rhetorical statement because it is the power of the Spirit working through him. And that is the evidence, Jesus is saying, of the kingdom of God breaking into the now through him. Jesus is saying the power and working of the Holy Spirit through our lives to bring whatever, to bring physical healing or restore relations, to, to lift the, the poor and the prisoners up out of their difficult circumstances into a healthier life, to, to bring about cultural and, and racial uh, reconciliation, to help people believe in the, their dignity even when they can't believe in themselves, to, to share the good news and see somebody come to faith and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That is all the evidence of the breaking in of the kingdom of God right now. We get discouraged in the not yet but and the patience that God has with that not yet. But, but don't mistake God's patience in the not yet with indifference. God is working. God is showing up. God is leading history to a culmination of removing evil and perfectly restoring good. Paul reaffirms this in Romans 8 when he says this. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's a really strong connection there. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. That is the distinguishing mark of you as a child of God. John 14 says it this way. He says, For very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, in, in the context, when Jesus says going to the Father, if you read the rest of it, what you're going to discover is he, he's saying, I am going to the Father so that I can send the Holy Spirit to everyone who chooses to follow me. We get lost a lot of times in that verse in the greater works. I mean, think about that. That's intimidating to think about because we've read the works Jesus did. Greater, great, we're, you, we, us, we do greater works. That's overwhelming. It's awesome. But I don't want you to get lost in the overwhelming of that right now. For right now, I just want you to focus on the core of that promise, which is Jesus wants the power of the Spirit 
to be real to you and work in real ways through you toward other people. Whether that's healing or casting out demons or prophecy or words of wisdom or words of knowledge or, 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 or being gifted in teaching or counseling or mentoring or, or whether it's gift of faith to take on things that nobody else thinks they can take on, whether it's leadership, whether it's creativity or art or making peace in the world or, or through generosity, any of the other host of impacts the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. God gives you His Spirit to empower you in the game of life to do bigger, more perfect things than feeble you can do on your own. And Paul challenges the Corinthian church even further to avoid falling into a faith that is not empowered by the Holy Spirit when he says in 1 Corinthians 4, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's not just a matter of principles and rules and morals and good character living. He said it is a matter of power, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that kingdom evidence of the, of the, of the evidence of the kingdom is the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. But that's messy as well, isn't it? We, you, I, having a relationship with spirit, I mean, woo, it feels weird, right? Got to have some weird music playing in the background on that one. I mean, this is messy, and in the eyes of the world, it's weird. Not long ago, I was listening to a nationally syndicated show, and the pundits were talking about people hearing from God, hearing God's voice. And they were pretty intent that anyone who could hear God was either manipulatively arrogant, trying to pull a trump card to make people agree with them. I, I get that. I understand that. It's, it's really intimidating, and, and rightly so. It feels bigger than you and me to say that we're hearing from God. It feels pretentious to think that God could speak through you or me to others, right? I get that. We get the feeling. The presenters went on to assert that anyone who thinks God is speaking to them is likely psychotic. Now, this is how many in the world view the Holy Spirit being active through you and I as followers of Jesus or the Holy Spirit speaking or leading us as individuals. Yet Jesus, Paul, all of Scripture places the essence of being a follower of Jesus squarely in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. You can't read very far in Scripture without running into the Holy Spirit, speaking, leading, working through ordinary people. Acts 2 says it this way, in the last days, God says, now what he means there in the last days, in, in context, what Peter is saying, the, this leading disciple of Jesus, is th that it's the time that they're actually in right now, that Peter is actually in when he's saying this. It's in that very moment in the context where Jesus had just sent, God had just sent the Spirit to them in a powerful new way as Jesus had promised. And the last days, he's saying, are the time from that moment the Spirit comes to the time when Jesus comes again and all will bow before him. And Peter's quoting Old Testament prophecy there, saying it is fulfilled in this moment. And that, that Old Testament prophecy goes on and says, I will pour out my spirit on who? A select few? The Pope, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, a few really important leaders? No, on all people. That's you. That's me. Contextually, what all means in this context, is not every single person who lives on the planet Earth. What all means is all who choose to follow Jesus by declaring that he's going to be the leader of their lives and they want to make their lives about doing his will for them. 
The text goes on saying, your sons and daughters were prophesied. Those you think too young, too immature. Your young men will see visions. God's going to use young and weak people to envision great things. And your old men will dream dreams. Those who are old, those of you who have had your run, are now on the downward slide of life. God continues to breathe meaning and dreams into your life. Those of you who are retired, God wants a new dream for the impact of your life right now that is just as compelling as when you were 20 dreaming about the greatness of life. Maybe more so. He also means the Holy Spirit will give you literal visions and dreams that are from God as a way of speaking to you. So what this other, what this scripture, scripture and other texts explicitly hold clear is what we hold as a church and the Vineyard churches as a whole. And, and, and that direct statement is made uh, in kind of a fun way through this phrase. It's the phrase, everyone gets to play. That is also messy. Each and every one of us has a role, the Scripture is saying, in God's mission on earth, a vital role for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, in order to follow Jesus, need to figure out this Holy Spirit thing for ourselves. Because my faith, your faith, will always be lacking unless the primary pursuit of our lives is to know God through His Holy Spirit and to learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that our imperfect, still messy lives in this time of not yet are empowered by Him. That means each of us learning to know the Holy Spirit and how He communicates to us and through us to other people. But that's messy, isn't it? Because that's hard. It's... it's, it's, we can't put a finger on it sometimes. We've got to learn it. We've got to experience it. We've got to pursue it. So when you project that picture out of what it means, what, what you might see is a whole bunch of you and a whole bunch of other people in your small group learning by trial and error, just praying individually and together and, and, and trying to figure out when God speaks and if you might feel God say something to you that might be for a friend and so you share it and, and you learn by trial and error. And, and that error piece can sometimes be difficult because when we don't get it right and we say to someone, God is, we think God is saying X to you and, and that's not really what God, it can be Difficult, confusing, it can even be painful at times. Or, or when you step out and act on something like you, that you feel the Holy Spirit is leading you to do and, and it isn't right, it can get messy, right? Growing by trial and error means that sometimes we'll pray and we'll see God heal and move and speak and work in amazing ways. And other times we're going to sit down with somebody at work and pray and nothing seems to happen. But if we're people who contend for the kingdom of God, we will want the now as much as possible, even when the not of the not yet seems to be what we're experiencing. We're going to get back up. We're going to keep trying. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep pursuing the Holy Spirit, keep trusting God to break into our reality and show up in His kingdom authority in our lives and the lives of those around us. We're going to keep praying, keep risking, keep fighting for the good that God wants to bring into reality in your marriage or for your coworker or for your neighbor's life or the community or even politics. Who has faith to pray for politics? That's a hard one, right? In raising, we can pray for raising the poor of the community and overcoming evil and injustice and by bringing the good, healthy order of relationships. But the reality is we live today in two realities. We live in the reality of the now and the not yet. And we really live in the reality of everyone gets to play. And it's messy. 
But that means right now, today, even in the now of this very moment right here, the Spirit is coming to you. He's wanting to work in you and through you toward other people. That means this afternoon as you get the call from your friend who's going through a difficult time, sick or dying or, or whatever it is, work, that you'll press into the now of that moment and ask God to show up in that situation to heal, to make His presence known, to, to give you a word of encouragement that will touch the other person in a way that they know it's not just you, but there's somehow God in that moment loving them in that moment. So here's my invitation today. Where do you see yourself? In what we have talked about here today, are you the one who is frustrated and distant from God in regard to the Holy Spirit asking, where are you? In maybe even a deeply disappointed, frustrated tone. Again, God's okay with you processing that question, even in that tone with Him honestly. But how does God want to settle in you uh, uh, so that you can embrace the messiness of the not yet and maybe reframe that question to a curious one of, where are you, God? Because I know, God, you're good, and I know you are here now. You turn the question into a loving, trusting, curious question of discovery, even in the pain of your situation. Or maybe you're the one who... If you're really honest, your faith is mostly about principle and not so much about relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe when you hear someone like me talk about the Holy Spirit, you just think, holy what? And you think and feel, I don't know God as a person like that. And that makes me really uncomfortable to talk about that and think about that. If that's you, God is inviting you today to make the Holy Spirit, to make true relationship with God central to your faith and press into the messiness and the discomfort of figuring that out. See, the worship team, go ahead and come on up. See, sometimes sometimes I think as, as people in general and people of faith more specifically, we get so focused on wanting to discover and live in truth as we should that we are faced sometimes with not yet circumstances in our lives of helping others mourn a loss or face a difficulty. And, and we often have to have this pressure to give an answer to a situation where God hasn't given us an answer. Uh, we have a very high value for knowing the truth, but, but, but I don't think we have a high enough value for mystery. That God is simply bigger, wiser, better, and when I was writing this, I just wanted to say gooder, even though it's not grammatically correct. I just feel like it's the right word. God is gooder. He, his perspective is clearer and deeper and far more reaching, more, more, more far reaching than, than you can even ever hope to understand or see. See, in our faith, mystery is just as important as truth and revelation. Sometimes great faith is actually found in enduring something you can't explain because you trust God's goodness. See, there are two kinds of faith. We need them both. There's a faith that contends for breakthrough, pressing for God to show up in the now. And there's a faith that trusts in the mystery of the unexplainable and the difficult, the not moments of the not yet. And both Aspects of faith are essential for maturity. You can't have a mature faith without both of those aspects of faith. See, 
I can't read the Bible and not be challenged by what we've talked about today. I don't think anyone can honestly read Scripture and not be challenged by what we've talked about today. The essential place of real relationship with the Holy Spirit, contending for the now of His presence to break in among us, even in the not yet, and that every single one of us as followers of Jesus are to become mature in living out and knowing the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. As a church, we see God's kingdom breaking into people's lives in many different ways. Yes, we've seen a few people physically healed over the years. Yes, we've seen a lot of people receive divine direction and stories that are just amazingly beautiful. We've seen God care for the poor through us. We've seen God reconcile relationships because of learning to love across differences. But I have to say, I don't see the level of what I think uh, Jesus is describing when he says greater works through you, through me, through us happening. I have experienced more of the Holy Spirit throughout the course of my life and the history of my life and other times. God is so good. I want all of His goodness for every single one of us. Every last bit of God's goodness and power to transform our lives and to transform our community. So if this topic to you feels messy, it is. It is. No matter how you slice it, it's messy. And yet this is exactly what God invites us to, to know the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, to experience His kingdom breaking into now the now of our reality, even in the imperfection of life. If you don't know God like that, maybe your first step today is to maybe make a first-time decision to follow Jesus and truly become an all-in, committed follower of Jesus, not just focused on growing morally, but more so focused even on knowing the Holy Spirit and allowing God to be personal to you, to speak to you, to lead you, to empower you, and to work through you. For others of you, God might be asking you to, to get back, to, to, to shake off the discouragement and the, maybe even the apathy that's set in because of too many not experiences and the not yet and return to what you know about the Holy Spirit but what you've let slip in the course of your life. Wherever you are, would you just stand with me now as we are going to continue to worship. I just want you to focus this whole time on worshiping and inviting the Holy Spirit to just come in you and be a part of your life, to teach you how to hear His voice, how to pray for people and see His power show up, how to talk, how to lead, how to think His dreams and His visions for your life. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. And Lord, we start by, by honestly recognizing, in our, especially in our rational world, this is, this, is, this is hard. And Lord, we, I think we can all look at our lives and we can probably all say, yeah, we, we, we've not trusted that about you. We, we've we've held, that, held the Holy Spirit at a distance at times. We, we just don't know how to navigate it. Some of it feels messy. It makes us really uncomfortable. And God, I just pray that for all of us, you would... You would wash that away for us. You'd help each one of us just open up to the messiness of discovering relationship with you, discovering your power working through us. Lord, 
to open our hearts up to even messing up in that and, and just being humble enough to just admit even in advance that it's going to be messy and we're going to mess up. Lord, would you never let our hunger for your Holy Spirit wane? Would you just come among us right now? Would you stir in each one of our hearts an insatiable hunger to know you and to see you in our reality? And Lord, would you pour yourself out through us that this community can know your presence and your power and we get to rejoice in that as we see you show up. So Lord, we worship you. We bless you. Come Holy Spirit. Fill each and every one of us. Move in each and every one of us. Even as we turn to worship you, Lord, would you take these words we're about to sing and would you come by your spirit and inhabit this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.